Hey everyone. The following podcast is going to review the July 23rd, 2018 line of duty death of Lieutenant Nathan Flynn. I'm joined today by, by my longtime colleague, Battalion Chief John Bean. Battalion Chief Bean was Battalion 2 and Side Charlie Command of the incident that morning. He's going to give some insight that isn't normally shared through the common circles that this incident is normally viewed through. So I sincerely appreciate his time in working through this incident and review together. A couple things to note. First and foremost, there will be some tough portions of this podcast. We are discussing a line of duty death. We'll be discussing maydays that occurred, and there will be mayday audio included in this podcast. This incident has affected so many people in so many different ways, and for some, revisiting a difficult situation can stir up memories that may have been suppressed or possibly not dealt with in a purposeful manner. So I caution you, and I also want you to know that you are not alone in feeling those feelings. I promise you. Feel the feelings, but know that they aren't final. They aren't some final destination. If you feel like you need some support, which I encourage you to get, as so many others have, there are resources out there. The IAFF Center of Excellence is an amazing resource for those union members who may need assistance. And the United States Fire Administration has the nationally recognized three-digit 988 phone number for suicide prevention. There is also the National Volunteer Fire Council's Share the Load Support Program that offers a routinely updated list of behavioral health specialists vetted by the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. Lastly, as many times as I've spoken on this topic, there are always little things that I may have forgotten to include. It is certainly not on purpose and I always give myself a hard time over it. However, should you have any questions or feedback, or if you would like additional resources, please do not hesitate to reach out at forgedandunbrokenfire at gmail.com. Many thanks, everyone. Be well. Forged and Unbroken podcast. Um, first uh, question I have for you, I was kind of picking your brain about this the other day. Okay. You live in the foothills of Catoctin. Yes. But you also kind of like double dip on the shore. Yes. Do you consider yourself a shore billy or a, like a hillbilly? Not a, necessarily a billy. It's a hill William. It's a high class <laughs> hillbilly is a hill William. <laughs> now, excuse me. <laughs> That's the first I've heard that one. <laughs> yeah, there there are um, there are shore billies and hill Williams, and I I keep a I keep a foot in both of those. Two hat. Yeah. <laughs> yes, good yes, for you. Yes, yes, good for you. I love that. Um, I was um, so when I first came out in the fire services in general, even before I was career. Yeah. You were the house captain where yes. I started volunteering. Yes. And I remember. It, this actually just dawned on me. I had like a little epiphany the other day that I had been on a couple of fires where like we're deep in the stack. It's like maybe fifth do get to do some overhaul, yeah. whatever, some secondary searches. I think the first interior fire on I was on. Now that I think about it, was with you. Okay. Uh, I think the Thanksgiving fire, where it was What's me it? and Garrity. You and Garrity pulling pull him up on. in the attic of that yep, uh, that townhouse. Day. Yeah. Do you remember how that all went down? That was so weird. We uh, yeah. we got a call. Uh, they dispatched us 
to the Sunoco station, I think it is, there at the corner at, at Great Star. Oh, that's right. And <coughs> we met a car there, and the guy says, the fire's back here. And it was at those townhouses down the road a little ways and back into yeah, there. Yeah, it was tucked back in there. Yeah, tucked back in there. And the guy's like, it's, it's, it's back there. And I couldn't see any fire. You know, just standard stuff. And I'm, I told the dude, I was like, just drive to it. Yeah. Take me where it is. Mm-hmm. And this guy drove, I forget, it was some little small car, kind of rinky-dink, yeah. maybe, a, maybe a donut tire on it. I'm not sure, <laughs> and the exhaust wasn't working. But we're following this, uh, this guy back to that fire. And the driver that I had that day, it was, um, I think he worked a trade or something or came in late. Um, uh, it was Dylan, um, Dylan Murray. And he, and I said, Dylan, I have no idea where we're going. I have no idea where the hydrant is going to be. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be on your own if we get back here and yeah. there's a fire. You're going to have to figure out your water supply. I don't know. Because yeah. I didn't know where we are going on the map. Yeah. You know, we're just kind of blindly following this guy. And we get back there and there was a, there was a fair amount of fire. And I remember that fire uh, distinctly for a couple of reasons. Uh, prior to that, we had had a big McMansion fire. And it ended up we transitioned from an offensive to a defensive, and uh, we ended up, you know, we lost the whole place. It was it was a, a significant significant burn, burn. Uh, it made uh, NFPA's large loss fires of the year. So uh, it wasn't exactly feeling good about myself at the time, as a fire officer. I, I guess uh, to some degree my confidence was shaken, and this was the next moderately big fire that are like significant working incident that I was first in on. And as we went back there, you know, we get there and we're starting to deploy the hand lines. And if you recall correctly, that's one of those newer style townhouses where the the front is the back and the back is the front. Yeah. Where the so we had to make access through um, over a deck and all kinds of yep. crazy stuff because there was a garage underneath and we went there and we were on the second floor and you guys had gotten the um the hose line into the attic and i was at the base of the ladder and you guys were in the attic and um you know it was nighttime and all of a sudden i looked out the windows i guess it would have been probably the master bath or the master bedroom and the entire neighborhood lit up orange Oh wow! And it was—I was like, "Oh no, it's through the roof. This is terrible." And I'm—I'm I'm having this moment of like, "Man, I'm no good as a fire officer." I, I, <laughs> here we I go am, again. Yeah, here we go again. I am going to lose this one. You know, I, I, this is not good. I am not the dude I thought I was. And you guys actually got up in there and got and got it knocked down. And that was a really, really major. Uh, um, development for me as a you know a mid mid career fire officer or station uh company officer of okay i can do this i can yeah. do this we're, we're okay but there for a scant moment when that whole place lit up i was like i suck at my job this is terrible <laughs> so yeah that was a funny fire and i've forgotten that you yeah i yeah. remember polium and i remember um and after thinking about it yeah you and and, and dan were up there yeah. there was a good bunch of kids around there then that's funny. i it was yeah thanksgiving day so i showed up that morning dropped off uh like donuts or something yeah did the family thing and then came back i was probably in the firehouse maybe five minutes <laughs> so it just worked out great yeah 
And when we got there, I remember the yeah, the following the car in, and I, it happened so quick. When I had gotten out of the engine and walked around to the fire building side, yeah. I just remember you already on the deck calling for a line. Like yeah, you just I, magically like I appeared ran, at the deck. I, I, I ran around. I actually went in what would technically be the front door, which right. was on side Charlie, right, and yeah. ran up the steps. So there was no ladder. There was no nothing. If you remember, mm-hmm. somehow I vaguely remember, like, I think Chief McNeese threw the ladder to the deck. Oh, wow. And while you guys were getting the line, I don't know how he yeah. got there. I don't I don't have a linear memory, but I, I remember him being somewhere in that I, area. Okay. I remember it was weird. Um, the other thing was you came out that deck and yelled, I think, to Garrity, get a line to side, go around to side alpha. That's yeah. Texas and get it to second yeah. floor. Yeah, yeah, because we had stairs going all the way up instead of trying to hump up the, you know, ladder, up the and, ladder the and the deck and yep. all that stuff. I'm like, even yeah. though it's a little bit of end around, I think this is going to be easier. Yeah. Garrity was actually held up by one of your firefighters. Yeah, really? Who's different position now. So yeah. I'll just leave names out of it. He, like, <laughs> hands in the door was like, you're not going in here. And and Garrity was like, uh, Captain Bean said I could. <laughs> He's like, you're not going in. Oh, and so man. he kind of like literally weaseled his way around him. Yeah. And ducked up like, and then, Look, whatever could that be over there? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we ended up good. Now, but I was, I, yeah, I, I just don't. I mean, the other day, that was probably my first interior fire. That's yeah, was it, the, yeah, That was a good one for that it. That was funny, good yeah. One. Yep. Um, that you've always been a uh, a wealth of knowledge. We just it wasn't too long ago; it was a handful of years ago. We were at um, Indian Camp, and I probably had four or five fires on Indian Camp. And it was a townhouse where it, they, I think the first an officer as a new lieutenant went on scene with uh, fire from the vent or from the attic. But what it ended up being was um, in the utility room in the basement, and that's. Oh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know, I remember. Yeah, yeah it you took brought me a everybody second. together to uh, talk yeah. about, like, this could catch you. Yeah. But because it's coming from this vent, this is telling us that it's in the basement. Like, you you had a yeah. good, like, hot yeah. wash after the, that um, for everybody. Um, that's one of the things. It's one of those finite details that I learned years and years ago is, you know, look at the vents, the, the, this, the plumbing vent, or a lot of times, the more often than not, either the chimney or the... Um, uh, the the vent from a hot water heater that's gas mm-hmm. is a direct vent to the exterior of the house. So if you look up there, and it's funny, I had a fire not too long ago that fooled me. Um, uh, if if there's pressurized smoke in that basement, it's going to seek the last the, the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. and that is one of the past paths of least resistance. It's funny, I had a fire not too long ago where there was smoke in the basement and I had this vent that was, I mean, there was smoke pumping out of this thing. The rest of the house looked moderately okay, but it it wasn't bad. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, there is fire somewhere near where that is. But it ended up being a radon pump that had kicked on. And it was, there was like a tornado of smoke coming out of this thing. And I'm like, that, you know, that's a fire. That something is burning. And it ended up, it was just the same smoke under a different condition that was coming out of everything else. So that that kind of fooled me. But yeah, that's one of those things that I really try to to instill in, in guys and gals when they're going on scene is, you know, the building will talk to you. Mm-hmm. You need to be listening. You need to have your eyes open. Um, uh, it doesn't always give you the right right answer. Yeah, but you know it, it can fool you. So. Yeah, yeah, that was really good because I was 
I was the lieutenant on side Charlie for that fire. Okay. And kept calling out like, I'm looking through the windows. This is a wide open clear basement. Yeah. And it was just on the opposite side of the townhouse. And shut behind door, a closed door and, and a utility everything's going room. up. Yep. yep. That, it was pressurized in that room. Yep but not the entire basement. Yes. And that that was what was presenting to yeah. me as I saw it. Yeah. And I knew that catch. they were, yeah, uh, every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> you got one. Yeah. Um, now, segueing in, now you are a float battalion chief. Yes. Will you just quickly explain that schedule? Because most, I think it's kind of, I'll say slightly atypical probably for the fire service. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know? I think so. Um, they came up with it. Uh, I don't know, maybe ten years ago, and different, and it's been different, uh, different shifts. What happens is I cover in, or I'm assigned to cover for battalion chiefs who are on Kelly Day, mm -hmm. and there is a set pattern of Kelly Days that each of the normally assigned battalion chiefs have, and it works out that the only way to equitably uh, distribute the overtime opportunities among three battalion chiefs, at least that we could figure out. Uh, I didn't figure out the schedule. One of the other smarter guys did. Um, was that there's three, You we work three days, being a 2448, we work three days only once during the three, three days in one solid week or a seven day span, only once. And that's when we work Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Mm -hmm. So what they did in order to make sure that everybody, all three of the battalion chiefs, we have three battalions, um, have the equal opportunity to work their Kelly Day on overtime. I work in battalion one, then battalion two for three weeks straight, both on Monday. I'll work for, let's just say, battalion one. Mm -hmm. On Thursday, I'll work for battalion three or battalion two rather, and battalion three has their opportunity to work on their Kelly day on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then every three weeks it, it rotates. It just so happens to work out that I work 24 hours every Monday and every Thursday. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good shift. It's a good way to fix, uh, you know, it came up as a cost savings plan because, you know, guys, were, guys and gals were getting to work their overtime all the time and they wanted to reduce battalion chief us up at the top of the end of the pay scale. Yeah. They wanted to try to chisel away at that <laughs> i happen to be lucky enough to uh, to get into this spot yeah it's it's been pretty neat so yeah, yeah. just mondays and thursdays and yeah. you're working all three shifts yeah i work all, all three shifts all three battalions yeah. uh periodically now they may lot. move me around a little bit compared to where i'm used to depending on if there's another battalion chief on leave I may be technically supposed to be at battalion one this day but if battalion three is on leave battalion one just because of our overtime process would the person who is assigned to battalion one would get an opportunity for overtime yeah. so they would send me out to battalion three where there's a uh, yeah. one of the folks is on leave yeah 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 so yeah. you get yeah, you get a wide swath yeah i'm i'm really fortunate and and I, I think you know this but you know i'm a howard county native yeah. i was born in the western end um i've worked pretty much throughout the county so it's it's a really good spot for me because I, I know the county I may yeah. not know specifically the first due as well as some of their people like you know that's the third house on the right off of this road I, I don't know all that stuff but I can tell you how to get from point A to point B whether we're sitting in the station or we're transiting between stations or it's caught yeah. somewhere in the middle I'm like okay we got to cut across this road this road this road to get there yeah so um, that works out really well for me yeah 
This is the last story I'll tell, and then we'll get okay. to meat and potatoes. <laughs> I think it was one of the last fires you were on. We were on together. I okay. was a um, I was safety. You were battalion. You had okay. command of a barn fire that was probably arson. And at one point, I came up to the window to check in, and you're we we're on this back gravel road, hmm. barns burning, yeah. all type. Of, we had tons of counties there. Yeah. And uh, you're like, hey, go over those old timers. This street we're on, this gravel driveway, it yeah. used to be a through street. Go talk to them, see if we can still get through. Because I know there's water on this side. Like you started just blaring off facts. I'm like, I don't. So I go to these two old guys. I'm like, Hey guys, does this street go through? And they're like, Man, I've been here for like 40 years, and I, I don't. This doesn't go through anymore. Like you can't get access. But it was just funny because <laughs> I you're in the command I'm like, hey, I remember riding dirt bikes down here and this there, and that. Yeah. A guy named I remember there was a guy who lived back on that farm who we hung around with and. Oddly enough, down at that water supply, there's a bridge there that goes into the different county, and, and uh, there's a stream, a pretty significant stream there, more than enough for any water flow we would need. We used to jump off of that bridge and swim, so I knew where where we were, and I knew where the stream was, and I remember this guy, his name's David Hill, and used to ride his dirt bike like a maniac up this little, uh, it, it's barely a farm road, yeah. but there used to be access there. And the guy is probably right. He's been there 40 years, but I'm talking about something that was there in the early 80s. So, it, you know, the, the, the timelines match up. It, <laughs> it was there at one time. Yeah, and, I, right. and it's funny, I went back down there uh, afterwards to see where what it looked like. Um, and it was it was it was grown up. There were trees oh, on fun. there and all yeah. that stuff. I'm like, yeah, I guess Father Time has. Uh, I haven't looked up. back. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's uh, funny. Yeah, that was, yeah. It was a funny fire. Yeah. Um, so, I guess making a harder transition. On we were working July 22nd, and on July 22nd for me, I know it was a typical Sunday. Like it was. Uh, uh, we you know we had the big shift breakfast, mm-hmm. and uh, normally on Sundays it's a little bit slower day. So one of our senior guys will do a case study on the NIOSH report. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of like our day. You know, we'll get in a workout. A lot of times after the NIOSH report, that'll inspire and spur training. I don't exactly remember what that was, but it was a typical Sunday. It was middle of July. It was nice out. Yeah. But it was later that night we ran our fire. Um, do you remember anything just from the, not even? before the fire like the the day was just you're on a bit I really too. there there was nothing um outrageous that happened that day that I recall um and if I recall correctly I was I was uh on overtime that day uh because usually then I would have been in battalion 1 and I was in battalion 2 I wasn't the float yet mm-hmm. so I had no business being there other than I was on uh in, on overtime and uh, the, the other battalion chief uh, who worked with me, yeah, he was normally assigned to battalion one, so it was my turn to go out. I yeah, just, gotcha. but I don't, I, I really couldn't think of one specific thing that just happened that day, day or just another yeah, day. Just yeah. another day, and why? Yep, yep, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, we all go to bed, and that night, big storm came through the county. Yes, and we can start working on building this up together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, one twenty a.m. Lightning strike occurred, and this one specific lightning strike generated ten times more energy than any other lightning strike in the area for the storm that was going through the county. Hmm. And um, it hit this massive oak tree 
Yeah. Maybe I can't remember if it was an oak or not. So it hit this massive hardwood. Yeah. Ran the root system. Ran to an underground propane tank, which then hit the underground lines mm-hmm. at seven thousand five Woodscape Drive. Yeah. And then that ran into, <clears throat> excuse me, the house. Arced, and then we had that like finger of flame that started burning from that lightning strike within yeah. the house. Yeah. And uh, it was at one fifty one. So lightning strike is at one twenty. One fifty one. A half an hour later. That's when the call came into dispatch saying, "Hey, there's some smoke in the house." Yeah. Um, it got dispatched as a local box. Yes. So for us being two engines, a truck, a battalion. Yes. And it was in Clarksville, so technically that's a second battalion box that you should have been first in on. But that's when we were going through the trial period of AVL, and battalion one was actually picked up on the box because AVL calculated okay. them as getting to this section of the county faster. Which is probably accurate, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, they would. Yeah. they would have had to have driven my by my first due um, in battalion two. We would have basically um, almost been identical as yeah. far as uh, as far as arrival time. Yeah, but yeah, I, I I vaguely do remember that. Yeah, yeah. So like two engines, a truck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, battalion and a medic unit. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's kind of like the normal thing. Yeah. So fifty one's the first engine. From about 800 feet away before they even get into the neighborhood they can already smell smoke yeah. um so they, they know they got something going on they get on scene and 51 says uh, this is at 2 a.m now so now yeah. you're looking at about 40 minutes yeah. of burn time yeah. before can everybody I, gets can I interject oh, yeah, something please. really quick um it's interesting that that was a that structure uh it was at least it's interesting to me maybe boring to others when I first started to work for the county in the 80s, um, Route 32, as we know it, did not exist. Yep. And we would, and, and my first assignment, I was living in Eldersburg, and my first assignment was uh, Savage. So we used to go down what is now Guilford Road. Yes. Um, and because 32 wasn't there, the, the, the throughway. And one of the guys that I worked with, one of my favorite guys I ever worked with, a guy named Larry Dixon, God, God rest his soul, um, told me about that house. Because mm-hmm. at the time, you're talking about the early 80s, the, what we know as a McMansion, these large places, didn't exist. There was no such thing. The only thing no. like that that occurred in Howard County was Farside. And they hadn't even mm-hmm. built whatever was across the road, Governor's Run or whatever it is across the road. Farside, Master's Run? Master's Run, yeah, that's it. Uh, those were the only big houses in Howard County. And and this this guy, Larry, says, man, on your way to work or on your way home, you got to go by and look at the size of this house. So when that call went out, um, at the time, there was a very informal process that the battalions used on local alarms. Um, one was alerted, and the other one had the option to go if they wanted to. Um, and I heard the call in battalion uh, battalion two, and I knew because obviously I uh, I worked in, in in that first due for a very long time as a company captain. Um, I knew where it was, and so I knew where the the road was, and I pulled up uh, Google Maps. To see which house was on fire, because if it's that big house, I'm like, wow, that's that could be bad. So I was literally up, and I, I had, oh wow, I had initially said I'll let 
the other battalion run it and I'm good. I'm going to, uh, you know, turn the lights back off and all that stuff. And then I, when I saw it was at the house, I was like, uh, my spidey senses are here. Okay. So I, I had gotten out of bed and was starting to head that way oh, wow. when I did that just because of something that was told to me, go check out this house in 1989. No so, kidding. yep. Jeez. Yep. Yeah. And so I remember that area because my family moved there from Prince George's County mm-hmm. in probably 93, 94. Yeah. And so as that new section of 32 was being built, mm-hmm. my front road was the original Route 32. So oh, yeah. every day from three to five, our road was basically shut down because <laughs> it was being held up at the light, you know, a yeah, mile yeah. down the road at 108. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Was, it, was a, it was a whole different uh, county when, when I started. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. So... Um, I'm sorry. I yeah, didn't mean no, that. it's okay. I didn't so mean these to go are off on a side track. No, I appreciate this. That's that's neat information. Um, yeah. So yet, yeah, 51 pulls up to this home mm-hmm. that you knew about in 1989, yep. and they just go up on scene with uh, they say single family two story smoke showing, and yep. then fill the rest of the box mm-hmm. because we just had that local box or street assignment. Some people call it yeah. three engine 111 perfect 105 ENS 151 respond. 7005 Woodscape Drive, upgrade to a building fire, operate on Bravo 1, Bravo 1, 202. Um, 51 didn't make provisions for water supply. They just went into the front yard dry. However, Battalion 1 on their MDT had the latest map update mm-hmm. that company officers did not have. Yes. So Battalion 1 knew that there was a pool in the backyard. Yes. 51 is neat and different in that it has a submersible hydraulic pump yes so battalion one told 51 go around to the backside side charlie where there's still driveway access use your hydraulic pump and drop it in the pool yeah and this pump you can get i think it's 200 feet away from the wagon uh 150 feet 150 or 200 i can't remember exactly but you can take this hydraulic line drop Mm -hmm. this pump into the pool pool and yeah. you can get five to seven hundred gallons a minute sent back to they're, you. Yeah, they're rated at six hundred. Six hundred. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's hydraulic. Yeah, it's a. It's a cool uh, piece of machinery. It, it absolutely is, and I am so disappointed that this has not uh, taken, taken over the world. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a really those pumpers, those twin pumpers that they had built. It was while I was still there as a company captain, uh, and and I got to give. Uh, give um, props to the to the volunteer corporation for specking those out those were those were my favorite pumpers i ever worked on yeah. um and they have that that ability uh that very few have and i'm just stunned why it, why it, it hasn't that, taken that technology yeah. hasn't taken off it does require extra uh you know hydraulic pump mm-hmm. uh that's not normally fitted but when when that thing's working, it's you press a button and it, you get water. It, yeah, you p- press a button and it's it's basically like drafting anywhere you can get 150 feet to. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah. so that's what we use for this pool. Yeah. or 51 used for the pool. Yeah. Now hitting the pause button on the fire for a second, talking about the house being the biggest house, one of the biggest houses in 1989. Yeah. This is a 7,300 square foot home, 7,300 square feet of main and second level. 1,100 square feet in the basement. Mm-hmm. So a finished living space, you're looking at 8,400 square feet. Yeah. So let's just say the average American home is 2,000 square feet for easy numbers. There's yeah. almost four yeah, average it was, it was families in this one. It's a big yeah. joint. Um, and now in Howard County, there's some single 
single family homes, quote unquote, that are closer to 20,000 square feet oh, yeah. in some of the places. It's like, it's insane. Some of these places are, yeah, just unreal. Unreal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now, the interesting thing about this house, so you have 8,400 square feet of living space. When you go around to side Charlie, it kind of creates a little bit of a, a wide V, we'll call it, mm -hmm. slightly. Yeah. Um, the upper side Charlie is the garage space where they have driveway, but then there's a gray change going to the lower side of side Charlie, yes. where the bottom of like that V is. Yes. And that's where it's three stories from the mm -hmm. rear with walkout access. Yes. However, from the backside, there's no windows from upper floor windows for what is typically the bedroom area. So it kind of almost looks like two stories still. Yeah. And now people are having difficulty calling that out when they're saying, Hey, we're, on, we're going down to the lower side. We're going back up to the upper side. Yeah. Everything's still two stories there, Yep, because there's no windows, I guess probably from the vaulted ceilings and whatnot. Um, so that I feel like was some of the initial confusion for just geography and painting the picture of side Charlie, people were having a hard time knowing that there were great changes, yeah. knowing what floors were where, and you're just looking at a massive home. Like yeah. 8,400 square feet. Yeah. If, if, if you look at the, and, and I said this at one point during one of my transmissions, because I needed to clarify exactly what I was saying. Um, if we, if we start as our, our, our Genesis point uh, of the, the sill at the front door mm -hmm. uh, on the alpha side, there was the story below that and two stories above that. Yeah. There was access at different parts of the house to both the basement and the first floor. So that's, we, we ran, it, it, there was a, a great, a full story grade change mm -hmm. uh, that started, I guess, at the corner of the garage uh, and went Charlie, down inside Charlie, yep. and also at the Alpha Delta corner. Correct. Yeah. You know this whole whole grade changed down to yeah. expose these the, those uh, that patio area and the pool and deck, pool yeah. deck, and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that's a good way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so fifty one goes around to the upper side of side Charlie. Mm -hmm. They're setting up for water. They have smoke showing. Yes. The homeowner says, "Hey, everybody's out. We have smoke in the basement." Uh, they pull an attack line and go through what is technically side Charlie next to the garages where there's access for like a laundry room mm -hmm. and a kitchen right like down Like a mud room, I think is what yeah, they, they identified that. Okay. Yeah. So they go in and they had a 200 foot line. They reported, I guess there was a handful of ticks in there and they were reporting they could kind of get an idea that there was fire and heat underneath of them there okay. was some coming up behind the walls i think at some point uh behind like some laundry and washer room gotcha they could see heat coming up behind it but that information never got radioed out <clears throat> yeah it was so like I, face I, to face yeah it's it's weird when you were saying that i'm like how do i not remember any of this <laughs> yeah right exactly because i don't remember hearing it and yeah. then this is all still while the rest of the box alarm is getting upgraded yeah. and yeah. dispatched so one of the firefighters says, hey, I can't find the fire. He opens a hose line, hot steam's coming down um, at zero visibility. And um, the officer at the like, hey, we, we got to get out. Yeah. Let's, let's get out. We got to find another way. So I remember like as this incident was progressing, some of these things I heard, some I didn't. But you had uh, a homeowner a couple times saying we have smoke in the basement. Mm -hmm. The battalion aide for battalion one 
did 360s and at, le- at least on two different occasions said, hey, we got smoke in the basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking earlier um, about smoke coming from the mortar, coming from yeah. the ground level. Down low. Down, down low. low. I, th- well, I think it was Tower 10 Driver yeah. verbalized that. We have smoke coming from like that sill play, basically. That yeah. I think there was a window well there. If I recall correctly, he he, he okay. may have even said window well, but yeah. nonetheless, there was low low pressurized smoke coming from the alpha side, um, over in the number two quadrant or left of the front door, if you yeah, want to call it. Which that. is a telltale sign that it's not in an upper area yeah. necessarily. Yeah. That was the only place that we had what I would consider to be pressurized smoke. I never saw it, but yeah. um, what uh, the, the, that report would indicate that that's that's the only place we had pressurized smoke. Yeah. And the closer you are to the fire, the, the more pressure you're, right, you're right, right. with. Um, and then at one point, so once they backed back out, mm-hmm. the first engine and tower went around to the backside, the lower side of Side Charlie, mm-hmm. pulled in an additional hand line. There was smoke in the basement, but there's nothing really pressurized. There's no heat. No. Um, you know, wind's coming in at their backs. And so yep. they're like, it doesn't seem like it's here. Firefighters start making their way back out. And Tower 10, you know, shuts the door to try to control the flow path. Right. And that's key information because as soon as the basement, lower side basement door would get opened, fire would all of a sudden kick up on the main level and you yep. can see it. Yep. And it as soon as you closed prob- it, it would go uh, away again. My speculation is the ductwork had failed in the fire space and when they opened that door there were torches that came out of the uh out of the floor registers you know that's that's just how the the heating and air conditioning registers no longer were being fed by a furnace they they were just open sources much almost identical to what we said about the the pipe venting pipes that's where that's where the fire came out yes yep exactly so that's my speculation is what they saw when they opened that door all of a sudden there would be this pop of fire in the uh in in over top of the the room of origin yeah yeah and at some point in there we know the hole had also occurred prior to them making entry too so there was some of that as well um and now you're looking at uh, 17 minutes after 51 arrived on location, they're pulling another attack line. They've gone in the basement. Now they're going back up to the upper side of Side Charlie. Yeah. Sherm was looking at an hour of burn time. Yeah. At, at this fire. So I'm going to hit the pause button with operations really quick. Okay. Because while all that's going on, the rest of the box alarm is getting dispatched and is en route. Yeah. So now we have the four or five engines three total specials, another AMBO, you coming as the second chief, safety officer, EMS officer, all the other things that are coming on our full box alarm. So the back half, you know, bells go off at two something. I remember the box going off. We reported smoke from a lightning strike. I'm climbing into the front of the engine as the officer on, on engine 71 thinking lightning strike hits some insulation. Yeah. Pop the fuse. Yep. Mess with an outlet. Yep. Exactly. You know, I'm not even going to get off this wagon. We're going to get there, and the first two yep. and one are going to, you know, yep. get we've investigated. We yep. found blank and send everybody We're back. At, exactly. Yep. So, and I remember <clears throat> because I grew up down the street, not in an 8400 square foot home, just so we're clear, <laughs> in a little uh, 70s rancher that a Mennonite farmer built. Yeah. Um, I knew the area, and I changed my direction of travel to easier grab water supply out on the main road, out yeah. on Guilford Road. Yeah. Uh, so. The one downside, I show up as the third engine. I stage by that hydrant. 
selfishly, I started talking to Battalion 1 to say, hey, can I get in closer? Do you need me to lay out here? And there was some confusion originally because they weren't sure. Other officers in coming down the road did not know that 51 never laid out. Yes. 101, yeah. the second engine, hand-jacked 100 feet from side alpha out down the driveway yeah. to Woodscape Drive. Yeah. And that's what the battalion could see. So they're thinking, hey, we got water supply, the secondary yeah. water supply set up. Well, that hadn't happened. So yeah. long story short, one, say, red flag for me was I'm having to talk to Battalion 1 to figure out a water supply plan when I really mm -hmm. shouldn't have to talk to the command officer about that. So he's getting test saturated a little bit. Yeah. He doesn't have an idea of what's going on with that. The plan was ultimately go ahead and lay out from that hydrant all the way into the scene. Yeah. That ends up being 1,300 feet, yeah. and we only carry 1,000. Yeah. So we come up short. Yeah, I remember I remember, uh, a, I remember us being short uh, and we had to stretch some additional line by hand. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember the details because I was heading towards the fire. And at that point, you guys were a little bit behind me trying to figure, yeah. trying to get that all, all sure. straightened out. That's a consistent problem. And you, I don't know if you've been around on my uh, my discussion about rural water supply and how to break it down. And, and having worked a lot as both a volunteer and and career in rural water supply stations, I have a, a, a little bit different way of looking at things. Um, but uh, one of the things, you, you don't have to figure the whole thing out. As an initial company officer on a rural water supply um, uh, operation, you at least have to have a plan for the attack site or the uh, the what would not commonly be called the dump site or whatever you want to call it you don't have to have all the pieces in place but it's important that you 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 lay a good foundation Set for the yeah. for you you should need to have a plan yeah um and you need to articulate that plan enough to where everybody else can pick up the pieces and say all right stage one is complete or at least has a good plan mm -hmm. and stage two and stage three are what we're figuring out yeah um so uh that and, and we've had this problem on multiple calls uh uh and even in recently as a, a couple of months ago i was pulling my hair out saying we we've got a bit do a little bit better job at at that plan instead of everybody just you know, as, as loud as the sirens will go, as fast as the engine will go, getting to where the uh, the glowing stuff is, mm -hmm. um, slowing down a little bit and saying, okay, what's our plan for getting water? Should yeah. this thing get to the point where we can't uh, knock it with what we've got? Yeah. And you're not even saying it's like split hairs and get in the weeds. You're nope. saying, hey, this is the overall overarching strategy that yeah. we're going to go with yep. and then build it out from there. So that way yeah. at least everybody's – there could be yeah. – Half a dozen different ways to split this out. Next, next time we're working together, ask me to uh, show you my my puzzle. Okay, and I, I will definitely <laughs> I will definitely share it. I, I think it's a good plan. Yeah, cool. So, I dig it. Um, yeah. yeah. So we figure out we figure out water supply. The mm -hmm. engine drivers from seventy one and ten make up the stuff that had, the three hundred feet that was mm -hmm. short did a phenomenal job, and nevertheless a water supply. When I get on scene. You know, we're looking at an hour of burn time, still haven't found the seat of the fire. No water's been applied. And I see lazy brown smoke pushing mm -hmm. from the eaves. Yeah. So to me, brown smoke, all right, it's in the structure. structure. Yeah, yeah. It's deep-seated. And this is such a big house. Yeah. It is probably being volume pushed yeah. now out of this 
structure should fill in this box up. Yeah. Right. These red flat red flags seem so obvious now. They, they, that's a fantastic way to put it. It's. And I remember thinking that's not good, but yeah. and then I just it went in and went out. You know, yeah. I kept doing my normal things. Yeah. So we um, did. We went to side off of the front door. We were tasked with going in. Tower ten driver said, "Hey, when you go in, uh, go to the right." Okay. Well, he meant once you go to that wing of the house, go to the back right. I'm thinking okay. he meant quadrant two where the yeah. fire was and it yeah. started showing. I thought he meant like quadrant three, the opposite side of the house. Gotcha. Uh, but we go in, we get to the front door. The door had already been forced, but had been controlled. And I see lazy smoke, smoke floor to ceiling. Yeah. And I use the tick, I scan, I get no heat signature, nothing's pressurized, no heat currents, nothing. So I'm thinking nothing. Whatever's going on, it's not right here. Yeah. And it was right then that Battalion 1 was like, hey, you know what, 71? Hold up. Yeah. Don't go in. Stay at that front door. And uh, Truck 7, who we're housed with, was going to be writ. So we had been on scene for, I think, one minute. Mm -hmm. And once that happened, it was... I remember thinking just how eerie the silence was there wasn't anything there wasn't a lot of communication and so if 51 got on scene at two o'clock at 217 is when the officer from engine 101 called mayday 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 okay just you hear a pin drop oh yeah yeah it was it was very clear that this was this was bad by the way mm -hmm. the mayday was sounded yes um, you know it, it uh, i remember uh, the i guess it was one of the assistant chiefs or whomever uh was lying told me later the story about how he was lying in his bed and he always you know he's home he's off duty he's all those things but he lives in the county and uh how he always had kept his portable on but really really low just so in case he heard anything and he said as soon as he uh as soon as he heard it he knew it Shot was bad he yep. knew it was really bad yeah he left it on bravo i remember hearing that same story yeah from him. yeah yep. yeah um yeah, so after they had gone in the basement, they went back up. Because of the control of doors and the way things were being opened, the fire yep. showed back up. They all yeah. booked back up to the upper side of Side Charlie, yeah. deployed another attack line to go in, flaked it out, started pushing in. And what we know now is that Nate Flynn uh, went in to go attack mm -hmm. the fire. Yeah. From what the investigation tells us, the hole was already in the floor, and okay. he fell into it. Okay, I, I I honestly didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's what the, the investigators in ATF are, are saying is what gotcha. is what likely happened is that the hole was already present, so they probably saw the fire, booked yep. back up as yeah. soon as the door got controlled in the basement, the fire dropped fire back down, down yeah. and yep. he, they went in. So the officer gives out the mayday. On Bravo Two, Nate gives out his mayday. Yes. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I never, uh, I hadn't heard that until just recently. That came out, I think, in the with the with the one of the reports or something. So yeah, like, August yeah. of twenty, this August of twenty three, they put out ATF put out their final investigation yeah. and their modeling, and they also finally released after five years the Bravo Two Mayday. Okay. So it's a tough listen. Yeah. Um, and we will probably, I might even overlay it on this later after the okay. fact. Um, yeah. And he was on Bravo too because at the time we had this last channel power up feature, yeah. where it didn't matter how many buttons you played and messed with, whatever the last channel you were on is the channel that would when you that powered you the radio be, back on, yep. you were on that channel. Yeah. So our Alpha Two is our like medical and main response channel, not really attack channel. Yeah. You could have ran a fire alarm or a medical earlier in the day. He left it on Alpha Two. Yep. Box came out. He switched zones to Bravo. But, but instead of it being on Bravo the, One, yep, the knob selector still on two. It was still on two. So. Yep. He, uh, he put his mate out on Bravo 2 at the same time as the 101 officer did, mm-hmm. and that radio transmission was missed yeah. until, I think, a couple days later. Yeah. So, yeah, when that happened, we had seven units where I was on. We'd only been on scene for a minute and 45 seconds. Mm. So no time to really gather tools, get a plan together. And I remember looking at the captain on truck seven. We worked together. He went around Bravo. We went around Delta. We're like, hey, we're going to put this 360 plan together. Yeah. And then we'll meet on the backside. And by the time we got to the backside, we put that plan together. And my firefighters had a charge their inner foot attack line already at the front door. And by the time I turned around, they had that thing flicked out and ready to rock yeah. on side Charlie on that lower level. So yeah. we were as prepared as we could be. Yeah. Now, you were Charlie Command. Yes. Yeah, I'd gotten. It was right around the same time that you guys were laying out that I had gotten on the scene and got uh, um, assigned Charlie, uh, because this was a rather rural area. Uh, I had told my the the guy who was driving me that evening. We parked in the next driveway up, uh, just to kind of stay out of the way, and uh, so it took me a little while to get to get down to the scene. Um, and I had just gotten around to the uh, the Charlie side, and as fate would have it, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we sing the praises of the hydraulic pump, but they were having difficulty with the hydraulic pump. So I got a little distracted because of my knowledge of the hydraulic pump and the hydraulic system and those engines, having worked there. Um, I was I was kind of helping out, trying to to troubleshoot and get that uh, hydraulic pump going. Um, and then not long after that, I got around to where I would consider being kind of in, in charge of the Charlie side, um, kind of getting my idea of what's going on. I I looked into both of the, uh, you know, peeked my head into the mud room on the first level, and I went down and, and looked, took a look inside the uh, the slider, or I, I, don't, I don't know if it was a slider or a swinging door. Um, took a look in there so trying to get wrap my mind around all right what's going on here and uh and what you know what's my plan of attack to try and figure out how we're going to deal with this uh wasn't long after that um that the mayday went out um i had and i i knew uh I knew whoever it was. I, I could make out basement. I knew Mayday, obviously. I could make out basement. So I I ran by myself to the uh, lower level, uh, the entryway there, 
because I knew whoever it was was in the basement. And at the time, I thought it was the officer off of Engine 101 because mm-hmm. uh, they were the one that, uh, that called the May Day. Um, so I'm down in the basement screaming this person's name. Uh, just hoping that the, maybe they'll hear me. For all I know, they come walking to me and, you know, and woo, well, that was a wild ride or anything like that. I'm, I'm yeah. At that point, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I started to get into that room and I got a little deeper into the basement. Um, and I realized this is being by yourself, uh, getting this deep into this and not having something present itself right away is probably unwise. And this is... I need to manage this side a little bit better. So I backed out of there. Um, and then I knew the hand line that had gone in that the May Day had originated from was from that upper side, that mud room. Mm-hmm. So I ran up there uh, and I talked to uh, a couple people trying to figure out who we're dealing with, what happened and all that. And then the officer off of Engine 101 exited the building. And they, they were on their hands and knees uh, on, there was like a little back wooden porch or maybe a concrete porch or something right outside this mud room. And they pulled off their, uh, um, their SCBA mask and I, I ended up talking to them. And that's when, um, because it originally I, I was under the impression, and I think everybody was, that that officer is the one who had the May Day. Mm-hmm. But in fact, they were calling a May Day for their crew member. Uh, which we found out at that it, during that conversation where I'm face to face with this officer, I'm saying, "Are you okay? Um, what happened? You know, all those type of things." Um, they told me that it's not me, it's Flint, it's Flint, mm-hmm. and I said it over the radio in the transcripts. It's like, uh, you know, I'm with the officer off of 101, and we're looking for Flint. Flint is still unaccounted for, um, and at, at soon thereafter. Uh, the firefighter who was second on the hand line exited the building out of the same uh, the same door, that upper mudroom door. And I had worked with him. I was his battalion chief uh, when he was at a busier station, and I knew he, he's a pretty squared away guy. So I uh, I went and did a face to face with him, and I was like, "Hey, tell me what's going on." And he told me, you know, like 20 feet in there, we were going in and. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, Flynn was gone. And um, so I knew that he had fallen down one floor and and uh, that everybody who had gone in with that initial hose line uh, was out, except for except for Nate, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I said that over the radio. I kind of said, you know, I'm, I've got these people. Um, they're good. Uh, we're still looking for Flynn. And then there was some confusion because the incident commander had, uh, when they said that they had heavy fire on the on the Charlie side, the Engine 101's officer had heavy fire on the Charlie side, and we're going in to get it. Um, I think if if you kind of add up the tea leaves, I think he thought they were going in that lower door, mm-hmm. but in fact they were going on that upper, upper door. Yeah. So he he actually specifically said, "Are have they fallen into a sub basement?" Yeah, and I, I needed to make this this clear. Um, and this is one of the things that we've discussed in 
in uh, my operational battalion meetings is uh, there's always discussion about how to identify which floor from which side is you know is it two two above one or you know there's yeah. we've talked about this repeatedly um, and one of the things that I've always tried to reinforce is usually and I just said it earlier the sill plate of the front door and yeah. everything above is stories and a basement so I said no I said it over the radio they has fallen into the basement which is one floor below the the grade level on the alpha side so that's where you guys were so I just needed yes. needed him to know we're, on, we're we're talking about going down one floor it's not a sub basement necessarily yeah and I remember at the time we were having a lot of confusion officers had different schools of thought about how to call out basements oh yeah and it was we I'll still struggle with that to some degree. But yeah. I like the sill plate because it's a geographic fixed location. It's something that everybody knows. Yeah. You know, we can all see as we're walking yeah. by um, the sill plate of the of the front door, yeah. is, uh, the alpha side door, rather. Yeah. And so. to add some more points to what you just talked about, when the Mayday was sounded, 51 and Tower 10, and I think maybe, and obviously part of 101, mm -hmm. were inside. Yes. One of 51's firefighters is like hands in the hole. They're trying to pull hose up. They're trying to grab. Yeah, that was that was me. the guy that I did the yeah. face to face with. Um, yeah, he's getting. Uh, he's, he's in the thick of it. Yeah, trying to do what he can. Uh, yeah, he 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 was. Uh, and you know, I, knowing a little bit of hindsight, twenty twenty. Uh, you know, that guy was tremendously affected by this fire. Yes. I think that whole whole crew, many people throughout the department in yes. different ways were affected. Yeah, uh, th that guy's really really struggled with this at times. I, I haven't talked to him in a while, but uh, yeah. I hope he's he's doing better because the last time I did talk to him about it, he was not doing well. Yeah, there's a handful of people that have had um, actual inpatient, mm -hmm. you know, help. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of downstream ramifications of what happened from that fire which absolutely we'll probably pick apart here even further in a minute um but he was hands in the hole yeah and yeah. tower 10's officer i think made a good decision there was two hand lines in mm -hmm. he's like we know he's not in on this hand line in the in the hole yeah let's take this other hand line and get it out to cut down on any confusion yeah so they pulled one hand line out and because of the degradation and the heat and lack of visibility is like we're, there's no way we're going to get them from yeah. this yeah, point. We're not going we're, in this side. Yeah, we can't. We can't do it from here. Yeah. So let's go ahead. Let's pull out and you know reevaluate. Yeah, try and go in from a different angle. Yeah, yeah. Tower 10's officer did a lot of good stuff on that fire. He's, he really, he really did. He, he, he did a bang up job. Yeah, yeah. yeah phenomenal did. human being. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I remember there's still there's a couple minutes of confusion. Also, we thought there were other firefighters missing off of. 51 because there was a volunteer firefighter yes. with a career crew there was yes. other firefighters that there was a little bit of lack of accountability yeah. we just didn't know where they were yet yeah that for was, a couple minutes that once was, that was cleared yeah one of the things um that that it uh and I, I think i talked about this before where we were talking about it um when i was doing those two face-to-faces with the officer off 101 and that firefighter who had been the closest on the hand line to nate um was when you guys were deployed from as the writ or the rescue team, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I completely missed that you guys had been given the opportunity. You know, you, you guys had been given an assignment to go in and 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 do that because I was distracted by my face-to-face -face interviews with the uh, with those people. Mm -hmm. um, 
So there was a lot of moving parts going on and a lot of, you know, while, while I had my eyes closed, so to speak, the, everybody changed the puzzle pieces. So it took me a little while to wrap my head around, all right, who's who and where are they? Yeah. Um, and uh, that, was, that was a little bit of a challenge. And sure. there was one part where, uh, you know, because it was on the other side of the county from, from where I was working that day, um, I wasn't positive who was working at who was working at ten and who was working at five. Mm-hmm. You know, as the firefighter, I don't really get that deep into the weeds. Um, yeah. So there was one spot where I called out the wrong wrong person or the wrong engine. The, the person was on the wrong engine, and uh, the the uh, the incident commander corrected me. Said no, he, he he was on one hundred and one that day. Okay. So yeah, there was a little. There was there was a lot. A lot of confusion, sure. um, and that's one of the things that that I uh, that leads me to talk about one of the things that I won't say gets in my crawl, um, but you can you can prepare as much as you want to for certain events, and you can have methodologies and and mechanics and all that kind of stuff uh, for when these type of events occur. Um, but my experience with it, and I can only speak to my experiences, almost all that goes out the window. And you're just trying to figure it out. You're just trying to figure it out. You know, you can always, you know, and I, I know you, you've been a, a shining beacon of trying to be prepared for, for these type of possibilities. But to say you have a plan, to say that, oh, I'll take this tool in and do this, and this is... I think that's overanalyzing a lot of these things. You just got to get the right people to the spot they need to be mm-hmm. by whatever means that they 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 know how to get there. Um, uh, so I, I see a lot of these, you know, and the fire service is, is rife with people that know, know exactly what you should have done uh, and, and can pull out something off of their rig that would have fixed everything. Right. Uh, it's, it's just... Uh, my advice to those people is humble yourself because until you've been in one of these spots, it's don't you, you don't know, yeah. and and there's nothing. For all you know, all you needed was a crescent wrench, and but you're carrying around a toolbox. Yeah. So um, uh, it doesn't discount the uh, the need to be functionally informed and intelligent about all of the things that are all the tools in a toolbox. You can't just go in there not knowing anything, yeah. but you know, uh, the best laid plans sometimes uh, are, are get fooled. You know, yeah. you just can't you just can't predict everything that's going to go on. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. I am actually I'm kind of working on a side project right now, almost mm-hmm. discussing that exact same thing about how it's like this bell curve of experience where mm-hmm. you start out with what you don't know and you build, and it's like this continuum where. You have to get to a point where you gain the skills and experience and really challenge yourself, work the stress inoculation, know what higher end skills in the weeds things look like over time when it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. I'll go as far as saying 90 or more percent of situations are managed by doing the simple things really, really well. Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. You can't, you're speaking my language because that, uh, um, you know, I can teach. I, I can, I would much rather have uh, 
two really good basic firefighters with me in a stressful situation than uh, four and a half experts, but none of them are experts on what I need to do, what I need to know right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. you specialize in not specializing. I, I, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I appreciate that that thought process, and that's definitely reinforced that from five years ago. What happened, mm-hmm. and then what's continued on through today is you got to stress and strain every so often. Sure. Know what those upper end skills are look like when you do need them. Yeah. That's not what's going to take care of most issues, though. No. Yeah. A lot of times, yeah. it's keeping it simple. Keep, as yeah. simple as you can. You know, yeah. what a Hockham's razor is. Uh, the, the best solution is usually the simplest solution. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, once we got around to the backside, and once we figured out that it was only Flynn that was in the mm-hmm. quote-unquote basement, which we'll explain yeah. here in a second, we were getting ready to go in, and from the time the mayday was sounded. To the time that we have the time stamp to where we made entry okay. is apparently seven minutes. Okay. What I remember is, I don't remember if it was the captain, I thought it may have been you, is because there was so much confusion at the time about who it was, mm-hmm. we weren't allowed to go in, is what I was. I remember being told. Do you? What do you remember from that? Because I, I just remember of seven minutes of idle time where... I was hitting some hot spots from the exterior. You know, we're talking out plans, but we're literally being held up from going interior. Do you remember any of that? I really have no recollection of that. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I really, I don't know. That, that, yeah. That's that's all all kind of new to me. I I, I don't. Uh, if, if I was involved in any of that, I, again, I have zero yeah, recollection, no, I, yeah. which, is, you know, in my age sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's certainly, well, I know I'm putting you on the spot, not intentionally with that one. I just remember as, you know, the writ, one yeah. of the writ officers, like yeah. seven minutes felt like an hour. Oh, I'm sure. Know? I'm um, sure. I have 71 and Tower 7 deployed. Tower three is about to deploy. Tower ten is out of air and switching out. But what, once we were given the green light, mm-hmm. what the senior firefighter Carlos Brown said this really well. You didn't hear anything except for regulators clicking. Yeah, because there's seven of us. You're busy. That we had all trained and worked together for so long. We trusted each other. Yeah. I'm not there barking orders. They knew exactly what they had to do. Yeah. They popped in the regulators and they went. Um, so we are on the lower side of Side Charlie, and we are going into the lowest part of the finished basement, that 1,100 mm-hmm. square feet. Mm-hmm. And there's no heat, but it is zero visibility, kind of yeah, like it, that cold smoke condition. Yeah, it was. you couldn't see anything. In there. Couldn't see anything. Yeah. And they had a workout room and I think almost like a mini movie theater. They had mm-hmm. like a massive wet bar entertaining area. Yeah, I was, I was in that mini movie theater when, uh, when I decided okay. I'm too deep. I need to. I yeah. need to back out. Yeah, I can see that yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, when the crew went in, so myself and the captain were the first ones in, and I remember thinking things were escalating so quickly, and this place is so massive. Mm-hmm. I actually let everybody file past me so I could scan with my tick about where they were. I was trying to map everybody. Yeah. Like, where are you going? Let's keep everybody loosely together. Do your searches. Do what you need to do. But normally, I'm the one leading the pack. And I was yeah. like, mm, I'm going to watch where everybody's at. This is. Yeah. This doesn't feel right to just go in blindly and not know what's going on behind me either. Yeah. So when you first go in, 
on side Charlie going from the basement to the main level, there's a set of steps that takes you back up. It's an open set of steps. Mm -hmm. The two truck firefighters go up there to see if that was a good access point. Mm -hmm. And he, I remember uh, Carlos ran his hand kind of over the floor, and it just felt like it was on fire. He's like, we can't go this whatever, way. Yeah, whatever's whatever. going on up there doesn't yeah. include us. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so he came back down, said the same thing. we got to keep going. So now we have our charge in foot attack line charged still we're over an hour burn time still no water's been flown in the structure 51 the first engine now has taken a dump because their pumper went out of service yeah they had a mechanical issue, mechanical issue. Um, uh, after well into the fire yeah side note the uh mechanic came to the scene and i, fixed I it. remember i yeah. remember specifically like as as you know i think it was after we well, it might not have been him yeah, it had to have been after Nate was out or I was doing something. Um, remembering seeing 51 with the, the cab tilted and the mechanic uh, uh, was was in there doing whatever yeah. he was doing. Whatever he did, he fixed it. Yeah, yeah whatever on. it was. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, we're following this wall up. I remember it was like slick tile. Mm -hmm. uh, we keep following up and we have made our, so we start on side alpha, went around South Delta. Once we got interior, we went from Charlie all the way back to side alpha on the interior. Mm -hmm. And so all the way back at the alpha wall, you can, I mean, you can feel the foundation of the wall. Basically yeah. we find a little utility room with a half set of steps yep. and we're all kind of stacked there for a second. And we're like, why is there only like a half set of steps here? It doesn't make sense. We're in a utility room. Yeah. What we find out later to paint the picture is that those steps lead to a 1,000, almost 1,000 square foot crawl space. Yeah. It's four to five feet tall. It's still underground. It's underneath the main level, mm -hmm. but above the basement level. Yes. It's this offset weird crawl space. And in that, they had catering equipment f for almost 70 people. Like there was tables, chairs, old oil tanks, Christmas decorations, uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff. It was yeah. anything felt that you, conditions. Yeah, anything yeah. would anything that they didn't want out in their regular house, but didn't want to get rid of. Exactly. That's where it ended it up. It was, it's you know, they had the luxury of not having to junk up their garage the way my garage is <laughs> jumped up. <laughs> right. Yeah, they had uh, they had some they had a thousand square foot to yeah. play with. Yeah, and exactly. Once we got to the top of that crawl space, I remember turning around. I think it was. Uh, my lineman, Allison Drini, was one of the first ones. Actually, Brogy, my recruit, mm -hmm. I think was the first one, turned around, didn't hear anything, came back down to like tell us what was going on. Uh, we go back up, and by the time we hit the top of the steps, you could hear Nate's past device as clear as day. Okay. And I turn around to the captain, Captain Love, and was like, hey, he's right in front of us. I can hear his past device. So it was a blessing and a curse that the fire is kicking up so you can yeah. see a little bit yeah and i remember we start making entry we start trying to make our way towards that sound and i uh i remember feeling wires pull across my chest yeah so i'm trying to search up and i remember thinking i'm not stuck in it they're just in front of me yeah but they're pulling across my chest let me back up and i thought about well i can do the swim technique underneath of this and get under and keep going yeah i don't know what's up ahead and if I got to get Nate and pull him back through this, that's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. So I started, I pulled out my cutters and I cut everything 
that was pulling across my chest. Hmm. The fire's kicking up and it's getting nasty in there. And I remember talking to Allison Drini. I was like, Drini, it's getting bad in here. I need you to knock this down. Mm-hmm. And as cool as a cucumber, I think he called me bro or dude, one of the two. Yeah. And he's like, bro, I'm stuck. And the nozzle stuck. Hmm. Because, and I remember thinking, this is a really odd position to be in because he was hunched over. It was very atypical. Yeah. While I was cutting myself or cutting that path clear, he was wrapped so tight in the wires yeah. that he was cinched down and the nozzle was cinched down so tight that he couldn't open the bail. Was that from flex duct degradation or was that another type of wire? I'm, I'm thinking it was the same type of like flex duct type. So yeah, that, that, yeah that's those, my those, thing. those wire, those wire spools, uh, yep. coiled wires. Yeah, those that's, things. I remember when they first started to become popular years ago, I was saying, yeah. this could be bad. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, so I cut him free and the nozzle free and he starts knocking down fire and at the same time there's enough fire where I I have enough light to see that the captain is trying to get out of the way and there's enough flame where I can see him as he's turning he's kind of hog tying himself and he's getting kind of jacked up so I cut him free everybody's able to slide off to the side start knocking down fire and for those couple seconds it's like what the like what the hell's going on right yeah um I remember turning around to the truck guys that were at the entranceway to the crawl space behind us. I remember thinking, it's bad in here. Things are degrading. We're getting wrapped up. High heat, low visibility. I need you to single stack on these steps. Because if this place flashes or something, I may have to dive out of this thing. We're diving, and I don't want to dive into a bunch of truck oakers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd much rather slide over your backs than hit you head on head. (laughs) Right. Two walls of bodies, (laughs) side to side, shoulder to shoulder. Neither of which is small people. (laughs) Yeah. And they they did a great job. I was like, I got you. They kept freeing. I think Mun Yuen came up and kept clearing more wires out of the way. Um, They single stacked on the steps like they were prepped and ready to go for handoff. Yeah. While that was happening... My backup firefighter, Andy Hoffman, was like a cage tiger. Yeah. He went up. He had no idea that the whole wire entanglement thing was had even happened. Yeah. He was able to get around us and get to Nate. Yeah. Nate was about 30 feet up. And in this crawl space, this 1,000-foot crawl space, it's split by a wall, mm-hmm. kind of dividing it in equal halves with one open doorway in the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's where we found Nate. He probably, from what we understand, when he fell into the hole for six minutes, he... Um, fought to yeah he was his life he was moving moving. for six six minutes he gave his mayday out and he was able to hit probably hit that wall and crawl down and Mm -hmm. he died in the space at that doorway from hyperthermia yeah is the official cause and he found him he had his buddy breathing line out to do an air transfer as that's what he needed checked his gear um he repositioned him because he was kind of down on his on his chest on his shoulder repositioned him um while that was happening i was baseball swinging my halgen bar to make sure like that floor wasn't going anywhere yeah like i was hitting home runs on this floor making sure it wasn't going anywhere yeah but i dumped my tools i went up with andy and i said we just got to go yeah we can't spend time down here so once again not time to get fancy just time to do firefighter stuff right it is the grunt work yeah exactly so we each grab a shoulder and we pull and he doesn't budge Hmm. so we look at each other we go one two three pull and he moves one two three pull 
So I've got one shoulder strap, he's got the other shoulder strap, and we're on our hands and knees just dragging. We're falling over all the things in there. We have one little pathway that's just big enough, barely for one firefighter, and now we've got the three of us trying three, to make it down. Yeah. We're tripping and knocking stuff over. Um, but to Nate's credit, he had on all of his gear uh, the way it's supposed to be worn, mm-hmm. cinched down tight. Everything stayed on. As yeah. we're pulling him out, I think a boot fell off and a glove fell off. Yeah, I remember uh, discussions about things that were found inside. And I yeah. think you're right. It was a boot and a glove. And while this is going on, by the time we enter the crawl space, there's actually a really crazy video that was taken from the outside of the conditions. Yeah. I mean, it's like pre-flashover conditions of yeah. just angry smoke cranking. I, out of the I upper remember floor. It, out of that upper floor, out of that Charlie side door uh, that that they had uh, made their initial entry for the knock. Yeah. I remember at one time it was just black smoke pumping, and it was probably two thirds down the door. So you know it was it was really starting to roll at that point. Yeah, yeah. There's um in in the formal presentation I do. There's great video and great audio that I know we can't really do here, but it really paints the picture of the environment that the crews were operating in. Yeah. It was intense. It was ugly. So we get them, we drag them about thirty feet to the top of the door, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking between. The entanglement, the heat, the visibility, the stress of past devices and maydays, and us pulling through this horror condition house. Excuse me, crawl space. Not to mention, you had one of your co-workers, who at this time you know is unconscious, in the worst case scenario, in the firefighting world, with you. The don't don't forget about that. Yeah, yeah. You know all the other stuff, uh, kind of kind of pales in comparison comparison to what's going through your mind the mental and emotional stress is an all-time high the adrenaline dump is insane yes right now yeah i remember working within 95 percent of my overall overall capacity yeah thinking i'm going to say five percent in case another bad thing happens yeah um but i was completely smoked oh yeah and we're just and yeah just the mental emotional stress is coming from it we get back to the doorway. Drini's still flowing water to keep things in check, which is the first water that's been flown in this entire incident. Mm-hmm. We on get the fire. On yeah. the fire. Yeah. Uh, we pass them off to the truck crew. And as that happens, it was almost in unison. All of our bells start ringing, yeah. which gave me another adrenaline spike. Sure. Now I'm like, we're still pretty deep in here. And yeah. now we're in our last third of air. Mm-hmm. We got to get out of here quick. We get out through the utility room back out to the main part of the uh, basement and I remember the truck guys are smoked now from the mental physical emotional stress and they have to like put them down for a second because they need to they need to take a blow I grab one shoulder strap thinking let me get him out the rest of the way of this basement and drag him out and he doesn't move because I am utterly completely physically exhausted and done yeah and when that happens, um, Firefighter Blankenship from the secondary red team comes in out of nowhere. He's like, dude, I got him. Yeah. And grabs him up and takes him out. And and this is where I'll tag you in. When we got back up to the main part of the basement, the crews in the secondary red team had cleared a pathway, had yeah. lights set up. And it was like a clear beacon. Like yeah. what was zero visibility going in is now a clear shot. Clear shot. Exactly straight shot. To go. Yeah. And they drag him out and they get him to... Nate's own crew, paramedic 105, his mm-hmm. shift, his team, and the paramedic Ryan Glenn and the rest of the crew does a phenomenal job, like down dressing, taking charge, yeah. and starts to provide care. Now I'm going to tag you in. While we were going through all that, 
Mm-hmm. Um, let me make sure I got the numbers right here really quick. It took us from the time the mayday was sounded to the time that we handed him off the EMS was 22 minutes and 11 seconds. Mm-hmm. From the time the mayday was sounded to entry, that was like that seven-minute period. It took us 12 minutes to find Nate. We were totally we were interior for 15 minutes and then 22 minutes to hand off the EMS. The national average is about 21 minutes. Yeah. And that was an 8,400-square-foot structure. Yeah. While all that was going on, I mean, 22 minutes probably felt like five minutes for me. That probably mm-hmm. had to feel like four hours to you. It what was, was, it was what a lot. was going on? Um, you know, I knew you guys were in there. Um, and I, I, I want to kind of, I won't say correct, but I want to clarify something you said. Please. The, the incident commander uh, wisely chose to set up a second writ team mm-hmm. they uh, I think it was a unit out of six a unit out of three and maybe nine I think it was nine yeah um, and he was sending them around to stand by uh, should something go wrong with you guys or they need you guys needed to tag out at some point or you were unsuccessful I wasn't smart enough to figure that out I threw everybody who came around back yeah, they would come in and they'd come to me and say, hey, we're the RIT team. I was like, go in and find him. Go in and find him. Go. And so the, the part of that, you know, those light setups and all that kind of stuff was me just sending people in. I yeah. I knew we had to get him out of there. Um, I knew progressively that that things were getting worse and worse for Nate's, uh, you know, long term. I, I knew that, you know, if it doesn't, you know, with a with a May Day, if it doesn't resolve itself quickly, it's not probably going to resolve itself well. Yeah. And that was something that was starting to uh, really set in on me is, okay, this is not something where he's just going to walk out of here. Um, and I, I remember I, I, I said to the incident commander over the radio, I was like, look, get a cot around here. You're going to have to bring it around the Delta side because the Charlie side, you'd have to go around. It would be a lot closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the guy, EMS-1, uh, uh, he's retired now, but, you know, he was around there as well. Um, so they were – they were. I, w- I was trying to still manage what was going on back there mm-hmm. and keep an eye on who was where and what units were in that, you know, because I knew, look – we're in an, as high a hazard zone as as it gets, and I've got now probably uh, five or six units in there. Now you guys were the deepest in uh, by far, yeah. um, but I'm just throwing everything at it. Um, and and then when when I heard you guys had had him, and you were on your way out, um, then then I started trying to figure out okay, what's our next step? What 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 do you need to do? interesting to see as you guys came out one of the you know I remember a lot about that night but 
in your memories, you just, I don't know about you, but for me, there's snapshots. There's certain Very things that I remember vividly, yep. and then there's whole th whole parts of it people remind me of, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. He's like, no, no, I was talking directly to you about blank and blank, and I'm like, no idea. Yeah. No, yeah, it, my brain apparently wasn't in absorb mode when we were talking. Um, but I remember specifically uh, um, him being pulled out the door, mm. and then uh, um, and they pulled. You know, his, his mask was still in place. He never yeah. took his mask off, yep. um, and it didn't register me at that point that uh, you know that's because he's not breathing anymore or anything like that. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work over the years with writ stuff and, and writ classes and saving our own classes and all that stuff. Um, and it didn't register me at that point that his mask being off is probably a worse sign than it is a better sign. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I, I vividly remember is is him being downdressed. And uh, you said the paramedic, who was it? Was Ryan, it? Glenn. Ryan, Ryan Glenn. I remember Ryan... Uh, um, specifically, he was he was at his head and he he was kind of up on Ryan's uh, thighs, and they were dressing him down and getting him over. They pulled the mask off and all that stuff. And Ryan said, "He's mine now. I got him." Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just remember those spots. It was it was, it was definitely a that's a snapshot I have in my head. Yeah. Uh, where yeah, I, I'll never forget what that looked like. Sure. I. Um, I yeah. The the other weird thing and you know how there's super super weird stuff that sticks in your mind and i don't know if anybody remembers this but me but these people had a pet peacock i think a lot more people remember that than you realize fuck those things <laughs> the exact thing that i say every time that i hear one i'm like yeah. this takes me right back you know here and yeah. i'm like Fuck you! I yeah. don't care. I don't care if you weren't the right one. You're not the one that was there, but you represent him. <laughs> so yeah, that that peacock. I still can't stand the sound of a peacock to this day. Yeah. So yes. yeah. I grew up in 4-H. Raised. I raised pretty much every single animal underneath of cows. Yeah. And steer, and horses. And I had if I didn't have peacocks, I had friends that had peacocks. Yeah. It was never an issue. I thought yep. they were you know these nice pretty little birds yep. until yep. that night. Yep. Fuck nope. those birds. Yep. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather raise jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, a couple of things to note is when we were in the crawl space, we did not have service. Like yeah. We we unless we were at the doorway or unless the truckers, the truck guys that were at the doorway could do it. We yeah. couldn't radio out. Yeah. So if we did want to call out our own mayday, we couldn't have. Yeah. We only had about tw 10 to 15 feet of line mm -hmm. left. Mm -hmm. We could have only gone 10 to 15 feet deeper with a hose line yeah. because we'd used up every inch. And that's where I lawed um, Broji and the guys performing backup and Andy yeah. managing a charge 300 foot hose line in those conditions, in that geography. Yeah. And by the time we made it out of the structure, had handed off Nate to 105. Uh, Tower 10's officer went back up that first set of steps I was talking about in the interior. Mm -hmm. And he said when he got to the top, it was just a sea of fire. Yeah. So according to the burn models ATF did and according to eyewitness statements on the scene, within 60 seconds to 120 seconds of the RIT team of us leaving that leaving. space, yeah. the space we were in collapsed. Oh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all. So, and I just used that to say every 
thing you do going back to the simplicity mm-hmm. of execution and tactics matters. Like if Broji didn't manage the hose line well and the kinks well, mm-hmm. if the search techniques were slower, if the entanglement took longer, yep. if dragging your lifeless comrade took longer, all these are touch points. Yeah. And if you add five seconds to each of those touch points, instead of one, there could have been seven or eight of us. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and that really, um, that was not something that was lost on me when you guys were inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, you know, I, I've done a lot of the saving our own, the early versions of saving our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was back in training division years ago, well, we started that program. Um, and, uh, and I knew time was not our friend. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen the studies about, you know, rescuers uh, be, needing to be rescued. And I, I knew we were against the clock. And I knew um, instinctively that the longer we went, the more the, the danger went up exponentially. Uh, 100%. So yeah, you guys were inside. And, um, you know, as, as a command officer, whether you be the incident commander or a sector commander or whatever it is, uh, I don't think people, uh, until you've done that a time or two, can really realize uh, the, I don't know if you'd call it stressors, the pressure, the whatever, um, that, you know, that, that really, that, that uh, after a while, that'll get to you. Um, yeah. I, I had... The most fun as in my fire service career when I had zero responsibility. Every time I went up a promotion, my job got incrementally worse, and I don't, you know. So I, I could totally you know, preach to that. Now. Exactly, yeah. I, I was never more worried um, uh, about everything than when I was a company officer and knew I was going to be first in on a working fire because it wasn't wasn't that I didn't know what to do it wasn't that I was worried about my my knowledge or stuff like that it was who do I have with me how good are they do I need to do I have somebody that I can either I have to prompt or do I have a thoroughbred that I have to pull back on the reins yeah. uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes through your mind um, and then as you go up through the ranks, it just gets worse and worse. Um, you know, you have to look at your... I've said it countless times, and I've probably said it to you. Um, as the incident commander or, or a, a command officer, my experience in the fire service is there are five, I will say usually, but not always, officers on every fire scene that know how to put the fire out. There are 10, maybe 15 firefighters who are really good at helping them and can work with them. And then there are 30 people that are probably in the way. Um, and knowing those, the responsibility is knowing who those five are and making sure they don't get caught by something they didn't see. Yeah, That's the responsibility of a, of a, uh, of a command officer or a sector commander or something like that. And uh, you know, you've already started started with a very high performing person um, and every person that's under them you're now responsible for so if you get three or four of those people in this uh, structure um, and something goes wrong that's a lot of responsibility Um, so that that was uh, that was 
I, it was not lost upon me what we had inside and what we, you know, what we had to lose, what we had in the pot yeah. as, as things were going down. Uh, I, um, I was a really uh, eloquent way to say that, and it, it's super impactful. I think I've had conversations with other national officers and leaders that will say, well, no, you got to put everybody on an equal playing field and you got to bring people up and train them up to get to that level. Because I preach something similar where like you need to know who your go-to people are. Mm-hmm. And I don't disagree, but the reality of just the human dynamic is that there's always going to be a bell curve of quality. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're in the SEAL teams or if you're in elementary school. No. There's always going to be a bell curve of capability and to know who those go-to people are um, is of extreme importance. Absolutely. And I think for you being a float battalion chief where mm. over the course of 72 hours worth of shifts, you could be in charge of 150 different people, mm-hmm. loose math. Yeah. That's of a, every day is incredibly different. Oh, yeah. And you've yeah. really got to check in and be diligent and really. You, you just got to know where your five guys are. Yeah. That's, that's your main deal. From from my position, it's just just letting know knowing where those five people are. That um, if we get on the scene, and I say to one of those people, go around back and tell me what's going on, knowing that whatever they see and whatever plan they suggest to me is probably what's best. Yeah. That takes a lot of load off of me. Um, just yeah, I don't know. Just knowing those folks is 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 the whole trick. Now, as to other people and what they say, as far as everybody's on the same uh, playing field, I will debate them anytime, any place, and anywhere. And I would uh, venture to say that uh, that the only reason they don't say the same thing that I say is because they don't want to be quoted mm-hmm. as saying that. Yeah, no, that's I, just me. I appreciate that. I think it's great for a promotional answer. But it's not reality. Well, you're exactly correct, and and the the key to a successful fire service is promoting those five guys, mm-hmm. and then making sure that those ten or fifteen guys and gals are are in line for promotion too. Yeah, getting those people. That's how you make a, a high performing fire fire service. Yeah, is making sure that you're putting the right people in the right place. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. About hundred percent. I think not not enough people. Or that real, yeah. or like you said, are willing to be quoted saying that, yeah, but it's so exactly. uh, it's so true. Yeah. Um. I mean, after Nate came out, mm-hmm. that is essentially the close of the incident. Even though I went multiple alarms and yeah. crews were there for hours putting the fire out. Yeah. A lot of us went. We're immediately told to down dress. Yeah, I told you to guys. I, I knew you I guys guess, were beat up, that. and I'm like, "Go take your stuff off. Yep. Don't you're not putting it back on. Yep. Just go. I think there was a gazebo or something. I told yes. you guys to go sit. It just everybody from seven go sit in that gazebo. Take your stuff off. Yep. You, you're you don't have to worry about getting BA filled and all that stuff. We'll we'll deal with that crap yeah. later on. But you guys were done. Yeah. Um, and it and interestingly, um, you know, at, as soon as uh, Nate was out, and we knew he was under care. Um, the next thing that I thought, and as an incident commander, uh, was always thinking too, was let's make sure everybody else is out. And I don't know if you remember me frantically running uh, 
to each of the OICs that I knew was inside, and I said, do you got your people? Mm-hmm. And do you got your people? Do you yeah, got your vaguely. people? And then once once I knew everybody was out, it's funny, um, uh, a firefighter who's relatively young in his career at that point, um, uh, you know, he, he came to me and says, hey, Chief, you know, if we... Uh, we get a hand line in here and, and do this and do that. I think we can get this thing. And I'm like, no, we're not going back in this house. We're done here. We're done here. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sending one more person across this threshold. Yeah. That's I, I'm done. Um, and interestingly, after I'd gotten that uh, that par check uh, and, and accounted for everybody that I knew had been inside, um, uh, Another uh, a volunteer chief who I had worked very closely with with my time at the at the as a company officer, he he came around back, and uh, it was uh, it was I saw him and I trust him implicitly. He's a really smart guy. Um, uh, I knew that not unlike yourself, I was done, uh, and I said said to him, I was like. You got to take this. Yeah. I, you got to be side Charlie. I I I got to go, just decompress, because it, we were definitely amped up. Yeah, and I know you guys were. You guys much more physically than I, uh, and I'm 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 saying even though I didn't have the physical attribute, the uh, the emotional side of it at that point, I definitely uh, I was right there with you. Hundred percent, and I would even argue to some degree that might even uh, be of more difficulty to manage because we actually had a physical outlet to yeah. literally use up that adrenaline yeah. whereas you're taking on all that exact same adrenaline and emotional yeah. response without having the physical aspect of it to yeah. dump it yeah. so i totally Could understand yeah. i completely understand that yeah what i mean podcast two where we sit with andy we talk from the moment we left that where you we came out mm-hmm. for the next three years of struggles and stresses and stories and low points and I know that was really impactful for a lot of people Mm -hmm. I don't want to stereotype too much but you're the command officer you were Mm -hmm. one of the command officers Mm -hmm. you know you've got how many years in the fire service uh well total uh, total total. I started in 1982 as a 16 so you got year a old couple. kid yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a couple <laughs> you got a couple years on yeah you know it's probably we had lots of phone calls in texas as mm-hmm. i'm sure you did but it's not like people are going to chief bean's house to go knock down the doors to check on you yeah what for what you're willing to share what were mm-hmm. the next you know week months years like what is there anything that sticks out at you that like this was a low point or this helped me get through this what um, do you have to offer there uh you know everybody's different uh and um i i don't know exactly why i tick the way i tick uh, and my wife would probably say nobody can understand that but um you know as soon as this uh, this happened and we de-escalated and I walked away from the firehouse that morning, um, I have a I have a vacation home within a couple of hours of the firehouse, um, and I went down there for a couple of days uh, and I, would, I just wanted to be by myself, uh, and uh, I invited the incident commander down because I, I knew that he would be. Uh, um, 
you know, inundated. Yeah. And it was just a time that I wanted to be alone. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I had to, uh, you know, you fight the devil and the angel on your shoulder. One of the things I made made the decision early on is over this time that I'm down here, it's probably best not to have anything to drink. I did the same. I, um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, uh, um, so I was like, that's that's not going to be healthy for what what I need to process. Yeah. Um, as far as how I've handled it, um, and, and, I, and there are times uh, when I I've struggled. I won't say struggled. Here's the way I look at it. There's a locked room in my mind where I keep all those memories. And I rarely go there. Um, every once in a while I will, uh, and I don't dwell there. Um, I know, you know, one of the, one of the big things uh, that has become very fashionable now in the, uh, in the, in, you know, cross podcasts and all that is stoicism. Uh, you know, everybody talks about it now, and there's books and books, and and uh, and uh, I, my, I guess I was blessed and cursed. My father was a very stoic man, um, not in the harsh way. He wasn't a hard guy. He wasn't. He was one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. But we just didn't. We didn't talk about emotions a lot. And I guess I got that from him. Uh, I, you know, I haven't sought any any help uh, or talked about it or uh, very few people that I've really even talked to the incident about at all. Um, you know, this is probably the most, this is by far the most in-depth that I've, yeah. I've revisited uh, that. Uh, but it, it's very rare that I, uh, that I think about it. Um, it's certainly not something I dwell on, uh, but I am clearly uh, clearly sensitized to it. Uh, I don't know how many years that I'm terrible with times and dates and numbers and all that kind of stuff. But several years after uh, the, the Woodscape fire, they, the Frederick County had their yep. their very 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 similar line Literally, of duty. Yes, it's um, right down the street from my house. Yeah, and uh, um, one of the the officers who uh, worked closely with me as a battalion, not on that call, but uh, uh, he's one of those five guys, um, called me and said, hey, you, you hearing what's going on? And I was like, no, what's up? What's up? And he told me, Frederick County's got a mayday, blah, blah, blah. And I have a subscription to an online service where I can go back and listen to archives and all that stuff. And I can go back to, to timestamps and all that stuff. And immediately I went upstairs and into my office and sat and listened to it and my wife you know my wife said john is this something you really want to do and and um it was something i could not do i understand uh, it was uh there was some you know I, I have difficult times talking about it and it's just not not something that i like to do uh, there's there's been times uh where i'll do some uh social media you know i guess you would call it not stalking it's not like i'm stalking somebody but i'll i'll look through certain people's social media and see things yeah. uh and i um every once in a while it really really hit me uh but not often mm -hmm. um i i 
sometimes I feel like, okay, am I missing out on something? Should I be doing something? Should I not be doing something? But I haven't gotten to the point now or, or yet where I was like, I need to go see somebody or talk to somebody about this. Yeah. I just, I just kind of keep on and I keep that little box of memories, you know, that little mementos in, in that far corner of my brain and, and it sits there. I know it's there yeah. uh, and it knows I'm here. Yeah. So that's pretty much how I do it. I don't, I don't mean to assume too much. Um, there's a couple of things that stuck out at me. And one is, um, I think stoicism, a lot of people will say, misconstrue it as you're not allowed to feel the feelings. Whereas mm-hmm. I think true stoicism, you're allowed to feel the feelings. Oh, yeah. You don't let them hijack you. Yes. Yeah. And I think um, you are probably fitting that bill. Yeah. And I think that you also... Um, you know, I preach resilience, and I mm-hmm. think that you have outlets that allow you to decompress and not let those things hijack you, like yeah. the shore, oh, and yeah. like the mountains, yeah. and like the activities that you do. And I know you've got your hobbies with like woodworking and all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I think you have outlets that a lot of people don't have, yeah. and that's probably allowing you that decompression time. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that. There, there are times when you know, I, I, I just. I, I'm. I don't. Uh, oh, gosh, I can't remember the the Myers Briggs personality yeah. type indicator. Yep. Um, I uh, it's when it comes to introvert and extrovert, I'm almost a zero. I'm right in the middle, so I can yeah. go be the life of the party. But I'm just as happy sometimes sitting in a recliner by myself and nobody talking to me for hours. Yes. And I don't even have to have social media. I can sit on the front porch of my house. I have, uh, you know, I have a, kind of a Victorian place with a big wraparound porch, and uh, you know, my wife's like, "What do you What do you do out there?" I'm like, "Nothing." I just watch. And I'm you know. so happy. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. And then I tell her the next day, you know, I'm going I'm going back out on the porch. And she says, you know, you were out there all day yesterday doing nothing. And I said, well, I wasn't finished. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just one of those uh, weird guys who can, who, who I really enjoy quiet time. Same. Um, I... I'm, I'm an antique as far as I like to read newspapers, like folding newspapers, not electronic yeah. newspapers. Um, and all the guys at the fire, guys and gals at the firehouse, they always laugh at me and call me an old stogie and ask me where I got that, the Smithsonian or something like that. <laughs> and then I leave leave my newspaper on the, the dining room table and I come back in two hours later and everybody's reading some part of it. Yeah, so I'm yeah. like, yeah, not, not such a bad idea. No, I think there's that tactile cue. I'm, yeah. I have to have the physical books. I can't do e-books. Yeah, yeah. I, I struggle back and forth with that. But as far as a newspaper, I really enjoy just sitting sure. quietly and reading a newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that people are paying attention to is your uh, chair. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna call you out on that, but I think it's so important. No, no it, it is. I, 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 you know, I have a, a pickup truck and and uh, always have, and I, uh, I found I was I was at a temporary assignment before I got in my assignment, and they had those um, 
what do they call them, zero gravity zero recliners or yeah. whatever, lawn chairs. Yeah. And they had one at that station. And I was like, gosh, this is really good. But, you know, I'm a big guy, so it was a little bit tight. So I went out and bought one of my own. And I carry that to every firehouse. And that's, <laughs> that's you know, when because I'm afloat, I carry a fair amount of stuff with yeah. me every morning. So I pull up in front of the battalion car and I unload my, my boots, my lunch, my, you know, all the different packages my backpack with my laptop and all that stuff and i set up my lounge chair and i'm good yeah. i'm good leave me alone i'm yeah. fine i am you know and it's funny because some people will come over to me and start talking to me and it, it's almost like they're invading my space i'm like you can't see i'm out here you're in my dude, bubble right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah exactly dude I, I i'm fine here without you believe it or not yeah, yeah right. we're good my coffee is delicious <laughs> <laughs> i think that's what most people don't realize is that it's like your moment of zen to start up the day. You're out Absolute. front with coffee, watching the sun come up. Oh, I love uh, and that's yeah. the way you're you're said it, and I love that. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I I can I can sit and just do my thing, and and everybody. It's no different than my front porch at the house. I can sometimes I'm out there at three o'clock in the morning because I can't sleep, and I'll just go out on the porch and sit. And yeah, yeah it's good stuff. I get that. The Myers-Briggs, I'm almost the exact same, depending yeah. on if I take it for personal or professional life. Yeah. It's, I'm same. I'm right down the middle. Yeah. And I love being around people. And there are times when I need to be in the mountains when I will not see other people. And I'm fine and with I'm that. I'm good with that. Oh, yeah. And it charges That's me. Some, some of my favorite times are I'm with them. some of the best company I'm ever with is it's when I'm by myself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I think it's it's really telling if you can be comfortable with yourself in those moments, that's a yeah. that's a good sign. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that's way above my pay grade. Yeah. My brain grade. Well, um, you know, we're banging on an hour and 40 minutes. And good we grief. uncovered a lot of, um, you know, I wanted to talk about this incident um, in this format, which mm -hmm. hasn't really been done. Um, and also with you, there are some officers command officers and frontline officers that have done talks and we've talked and i have a tremendous amount of respect for them and i wanted to make sure that um you got into that fold and i really appreciate you doing this hey i, I appreciate the and invite like i said from 2004 from my first interior fire with you yeah all the way to now we've had um there were a lot of times where we've crossed paths and okay. had some cool discussions mm. and um i've always appreciated the support yeah so well i thank I, you for that um, you know, you, you as, uh, you know, when you were a volunteer and I was the house captain at that station, you, there was a special bubble of some really decent guys that came through and you were clearly one of them, you know, uh, and, and I, I appreciate all the time that we get to spend together. Uh, even though it's, you know, sometimes it's just ships passing in the dark yeah. and me saying some stupid corny <laughs> joke or something like that. Uh, uh, I, I, I appreciate all you've done. Uh, you mean a lot to the department, whether you believe it or not. Um, you, you, you've brought uh, an energy to the department uh, that I, I would not underestimate it of, of how it's, uh, how it's had a long-term effect, you know, the, the, uh, um, you never know who who you. Uh, the, the shame of it is, uh, you never know who you've impacted and how much. Um, you know, I've always said, as as a you know management personnel and, and even supervisors, a lieutenant now as a battalion chief, um, 
you can be a real tough nut guy and really hard on people and all that stuff and um, and and measure your success in that way. But I, the, one of the things that I've always said is, you know, I will never be able to know uh, truly measure my success because I won't know how many people showed up at my funeral. Yeah. That's the important part is how many people show up at your funeral. Yeah, you know, because the rest of it, it's all details. You know, <laughs> it's it is, yep, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's as uh, good as place as any to stop. All right, so. sounds good. Right. Anything? Any last parting words? Uh, that was a good one. Okay. Enjoy your time here, guys and gals. Um, the, the fire service, I look at it uh, as a trolley that's running through a busy city. And yeah. you hop on, and some people are already there, and some of them hop off, and then you hop off, but the trolley keeps going. Yeah. So just know that uh, you've got the best job in the world. And uh, remember all the things that you have and don't necessarily dwell on the things that you'd like to have. We're in a good spot, guys and gals. Yeah, that gratitude. Right. I love that. All right. Thank you. No problem.